Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to a Memorial Day edition of our Monday morning Facebook Live devotionals. If you missed this, uh, this comment will be unhelpful for you because you missed it, but you could catch this. It will be reposted on the Facebook page, or you can check out um, the Sovereign Hope Church podcast on iTunes or on Google Podcasts. And we're in discussion about maybe um, broadening what we're doing podcast wise. So if you don't subscribe to podcasts, I would encourage you to because uh, Lord willing, we'll have some new resources for you guys on that um, within the next season. Uh, I don't want to commit because if I commit, Daniel will make me commit and I don't want to do that. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope you guys have good plans for your Memorial Day, a good day for us kind of in our political um, hotbed culture to remember the cost of us to get on a silly internet page and debate politics. And so we're so grateful for those um, who have paid the price for us to have freedom, uh, a really unique, uh, the American experiment is unique in the life of the church even. I mean, uh, <clears throat> not since kind of the Constantine era, Rome has the church had the kind of freedoms that we've had in America. And so we don't uh, want to assume that that's normative as God's Christian church. Uh, and uh, we wanna be grateful for it. And so regardless of where you are, um, I hope that you are grateful for this day off, reminding us of the rest we have in Christ, but also grateful um, for those who help fight so that we can worship God in freedom. Uh, we are continuing to work through the F260 Bible reading plan. We are beginning Jonah today, which is one of my favorite stories. In fact, uh, I, I shared this with my wife before I came in here. Uh, our newborn June had another rough night last night, and so we didn't sleep very well. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the passage. And if it's a passage I feel met about, I'm just going to say, hey, we're not going to have a live devotional on Memorial Day. Um, but then I saw it was Jonah and I love the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah has easily become one of my favorite books um, because you see Jesus everywhere. Um, Jonah is the anti-Jesus at just about every level of this book. And we see God's zealous plan for salvation. So many good things. Um, and so I want to share some of that with you guys today and we'll circle back to that. But let me just give a quick summary for those who haven't yet had the chance to read Jonah's chapter, Jonah chapter one and two. It picks up, we're introduced to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and we don't know much about him. Uh, he's mentioned one other time in uh, scripture, but God comes to him and he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And so what we know about Nineveh is there's bad blood between Nineveh and Israel. And so there was a sense of, of real racism um, that an Israelite would have towards a Ninevite and a Ninevite would have towards an Israelite. But nonetheless, God calls Jonah to go and call out to kind of preach judgment on Nineveh because their sin has come up before God. And so Jonah does what any good prophet does. He completely disobeys. He runs away. He gets on a ship that is sailing to the furthest uh, furthest landmass away from Nineveh, kind of what it was at that time, the edge of the known world. And on that um, boat, there's a storm that comes up as God's judgment against Jonah. And the sailors freak out. Jonah's asleep below the ship deck. And uh, they cut, they bail all sorts of stuff trying to calm the storm. And eventually they go to Jonah and they say, hey, we're going to die. Uh, do you know why this is happening? And Jonah says, ah, this is because um, I am a Hebrew. And uh, they knew that Jonah was running from God because it says in verse uh, 10 that he told them he was fleeing from God. And so they say, well, this is God's judgment against us. And so Jonah says, well, throw me overboard. And the fishermen, um, we see actually their grace in this. They're not willing to do that right away. They're not willing to sacrifice Jonah for their own safety. And so they try a bunch of other measures. The storm doesn't stop. They finally throw Jonah in. 
Um, and then, miraculously, uh, God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. And here we have Jonah in the belly of the fish, kind of the token Sunday school story. And we don't know anything about what happened in the belly of the fish. But what we do know is that he was in it for three days and he prays. He prays this prayer in Jonah chapter 2, um, a prayer that expresses a sort of repentance. And it ends with this. Um, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I have what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's kind of the big theme of the book of Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up out onto the dry land. So that's the first half of Jonah. You'll read the second half of Jonah tomorrow. Um, and hopefully this conversation is helpful for framing this discussion for you. So what we are we've been doing. We've kind of just been modeling what I'm looking at in my devotions, not because I have stellar devotions, but because um, having a consistent pattern in devotions makes it easier for us to know what we're doing and not to be disappointed when we don't have these uh, hour-long study sessions in Scripture. So we ask three questions of the text. Um, we don't ask three questions. We do three things with the text. First, we look up and we say, what is this text teaching us about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, about the Holy Spirit? Um, then we look in, what is this text teaching us about ourselves um, as image bearers of God, as humans, um, our tendencies, our fears? And then lastly, we look out, how does this text change the way we live in our different contexts? Has it changed the way we live as Christians, as church members, as husbands and wives and, and employees and employers? And so when we look up in this text, um, what we see in Jonah is this text is riddled with God's sovereignty. God is in control of every iota in this book. And we've saw that even today. God calls Jonah. He has the ability to declare a call on somebody's life. Um, no idol has ever done that. No idol has spoken to somebody and says, this is what you're going to do because idols don't speak, but God does. And he calls Jonah to respond. And then we see God calls a storm. God has control over nature. And then we see that God calls a fish to come, excuse me, and swallow Jonah. God has control even over the fish. And then we'll see um, in tomorrow's passage, he has control over the plants and over the smallest bugs that come and eat the plants. God is in control of everything at that moment. And as much as Jonah, the irony of this book is as much as Jonah thinks that he is taking control into his own hands, we see that he is running exactly where God wants him to run for God's greater glory. And so we see God's sovereignty in all of us. He is not a God who is distant. Um, he is not a God who has, there's kind of the illustration of what's called deism, that God wound up the world kind of like a toy and he created and he set it there. Now he's uninvolved. God is very involved in this world. And we see this in the book of Jonah. We also see something that was unique um, that stood out to me this morning is we see the unique nature of God's judgment. Um, God calls Jonah in verse two. He says, arise go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. So that's not generally a good thing. He's not calling winner, winning lottery numbers. He's calling judgment on them. Why? For their sin or their evil has come up before me. And so we see God's judgment here, and we know God's sovereign. When we read this whole book, everything's going to happen exactly how God designed it to happen. But at the end of the book, Nineveh isn't judged. Nineveh is saved. And yet, God doesn't call Jonah to go preach a message of salvation to Nineveh. He does that in other places and other, in other ways. But in looking at this story, he actually calls Jonah to go and preach, repent. 
to, to preach like you're going to be judged because of your sin. And what happens is that message of judgment leads to repentance, which was God's glorious goal. And uh, this kind of gets to where I'm going to get to in looking out, but I want to mention it here is oftentimes we wrestle in evangelism um, with how do we dance around the idea of God's judgment, right? We feel like hell and brimstone is such a prevalent idea when it comes to evangelism that we want to minimize it and we want to engage people where Christianity is a call for a better life. And it certainly is. But first and foremost, we don't just need a better life. If we just needed a better life, there are all sorts of life philosophies that might help with that. But our greatest problem is not that we're dissatisfied in life. Our greatest problem is that we're damned in our sin. And God's message of judgment is designed not only to warn and not only to condemn those who stand um, justly opposed to him because they've rejected the warning, but also as, meant, as God's grace to warn us towards repentance. And we see how powerful that is because Jonah knows it. What we're going to see is Jonah hates Nineveh. And so if Jonah really hated Nineveh, you'd think that he would go, if, if, if the message of judgment was just meant to condemn, he would take that and he would go to Nineveh and he would call on fire and brimstone, which he will do, um, and he'll look silly doing so. Uh, but Jonah doesn't want to go do this because he knows that God's judgment, the message of God's judgment, often leads to God's grace, that God is against you in his sin, but he is for you in repentance. And I heard, uh, I was reading, a book the other day and it talked about in Eden and it said one of the first heresies was a denial of judgment, right? Um, Eve said, uh, say the serpent asked Eve, you know, what did God say about the fruit? And she says, well, if you eat it, you'll, you'll surely die. And what does the serpent say? You will not surely die. And so here we see that God's message of judgment is a real and B it is often the exact way that God wins souls to himself by holding out the tension of judgment. And so we'll see where that ends up a little later on. And so we see that this book is, is riddled with um, God's sovereignty. We see the unique nature of God's judgment where it does condemn, but also provides grace. God is so gracious to warn us of our sin because that warning is often what wins our hearts to the relief that comes to us through Jesus Christ. So that's looking up, looking at what we see about God in here. And we'll see a lot about Jesus. I'm holding off on that until we kind of get to looking out um, because at every turn, Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. But I want to get to looking in now. Um, what do we, how does this affect the way we view things? What does it show us about our own hearts, our own propensities? And I actually heard one of my old professors um, in seminary preaching on Jonah once, and he made uh, this case in Jonah. He said, be, caref be careful of open door theology. And what he meant by that is, uh, here's Jonah. He encounters what is unique, um, something that most of us probably will never have, a, an audible call from God to go do something. But then he runs away and he goes down to the docks. And it just so happens that he stumbles upon the, the dock that it has a ship that has a slot and sailors who are willing to accept him that is sailing just by chance to the farthest point away from Nineveh. I mean, if that isn't a sign from God, what is? Right. I mean, so many times we only and it's not a bad thing to, to, to say we're looking for open doors or God opened the door. Um, but here we see that everything fell in line perfectly for Jonah to run away from what God was doing. And yet this was not what God wanted for him. And I think in our lives, um, unless we consider what God is calling us to do in the gospel, we can find doors that open for us from that standard of I'm just looking for an open door and we could find doors that are closed to us. And many of those open doors, um, 
the Bible wants us to say no to, right? Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And many of those closed doors are doors that the gospel compels us to rail against. And so this is just a good caution we see in here that we ought to be careful when we encounter things to be like, um, because I've heard it said in campus ministry and discipling people in the church, well, if God didn't want me to like this guy, if God didn't want me to um, consume this substance, then why would he make it so satisfying to me? Why would he provide this person? Why would he provide this substance if he didn't want me to do it? And that's just a dangerous place to be because the clarity of God's word should have been what shaped Jonah's life. And the clarity of God's word is what shapes our life too. And so we should just be mindful that our experiences are always weighted by what we know to be true in scripture instead of just assuming, well, it's here. Therefore, this must be what God wants me to do. Um, the next thing we see in here is uh, the nature of our Christian conduct. And we've been in First Peter on Sundays, and so Peter's really harping after Christian conduct. And so I actually found it funny here in, for, or in Jonah that we see this theme come up again because um, in this moment of tension on the boat, the sailors cast lots to see why this storm is there, and the lot fell on Jonah. Um, and they said to him, tell us on what, whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And, and what people are you? And he said to them, and you can kind of hear this national pride, right? Because Jonah is a zealot for Israel. That's part of the reason why he doesn't want to go preach uh, judgment to Nineveh. And he says this, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's kind of this boldness and this audacity. But then we actually see it's the sailors who rightly understand the judgment of God. These pagan sailors, look at what it says in verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? The sailors realize, these unconverted pagan sailors realize how dangerous it is for Jonah to run from God. And how do they know he's running from God? For the men knew he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And so here we have Jonah who in kind of this moment of pride is willing to pound his chest of being a follower of God. And yet his actions in public have shown that he's really no follower of God. He's really no prophet, right? They ask him what his occupation is, and he doesn't respond to that because if he was a prophet, he would obey God. I think how many times in our own life are we quick, um, whether it's on social media and what we post or stickers we put on our cars or conversations with our neighbors or coworkers, we kind of in a sort of arrogance beat our chests about our status as followers of God. But what they see in our life doesn't match up. It doesn't match up with how God's people are supposed to conduct themselves. And so that's the challenge is People who are around us um, see our hypocrisy. And that's no excuse. People use that and say, well, I don't go to church because they're hypocrites. There's hypocrites in every realm of culture. The church does not hold a patent on hypocrisy. Um, and yet uh, they do see it because they're smart. They're people just like us. But and, and so we should be wise of where our identity or a proclamation um, is set at odds with the way we're living. And that's a challenge, but there's also a comfort in here, isn't it? Because how many of you guys have had times where your conduct hasn't matched your confession? But what we see in this moment is uh, the sailors end by worshiping God, right? The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so for those of you who are convicted of places where your conduct hasn't met your actions, repent and, and by God's grace, change that. But look at how God used Jonah's poor witness to actually win souls to himself. 
So that doesn't mean you should assume that God will do that. Um, but it means that if that's happened, the gospel is so big. God's grace is so big that it is not limited by your sin. In fact, our God is so sovereign and so involved that he might use your sin to actually win people to himself. Just as God planned, we see in Acts, ordained according to his hand that sinful men would put Jesus to death. And so we see the challenge that, that our confession needs to match our conduct. But we also see the comfort that even when it doesn't, there's A, grace for the individual, and B, there's comfort that God can use that, even our failings for his glory, because he is a God that is limitless. And what a good truth. And uh, thirdly, we see careful of open door theology. We see the importance of Christian conduct, and we see the power of repentance, um, right? Jonah's prayer sounds really, really good. The problem is, is that when we read chapter three and chapter four, we wonder if his repentance was actually sincere because he gets out of the fish and really his heart hasn't changed. His heart's going to continue to be frustrated, but his prayer sounds great, right? When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, if all we read in isolation was Jonah's prayer, God calling the fish to spit up Jonah, and then we see Jonah's actions um, in chapter three of continuing to whine, continuing to gripe, continuing to not trust God, we would say, did Jonah dupe God? Did Jonah, Jonah just know the right words to say where God thought he was repentant and then um, he was duped? <laughs> was Jonah one who rightly, um, just as the Ninevites were to be rebelled or were to be condemned for not obeying God, was Jonah, would it have been right for him to die in the fish because he disobeyed God? I think what we see here is a wonderful comfort to us. None of our repentance is ever perfect. It's not. And here, God sees in Jonah a percentage of repentance that is sincere. And that is sufficient. Repentance, if it's godly repentance, is of such powerful weight because it's rooted in the work of Jesus that even broken repentance is enough to earn God's favor. And we grow in that, right? Jonah, most people assume that Jonah's the one who wrote the book of Jonah. And so we see that Jonah understands that his repentance was not 100% sincere in this moment because we see the foolishness of Jonah in chapters three and four. And yet there was a bit of sincere repentance because Jonah was able to be so freed from the weight of his performance of an utter fool that he actually was able to tell this story because he trusted in God's grace over his own failings. And so we see this wonderful power of broken repentance that when we go to God, we're not aware of our sin. We're not aware. We know we're going to fail. And yet our repentance, if it's rooted in Jesus Christ, is so strong to actually get God's mercy. Man, we are Jonah. We are the ones who disobeyed. We are the fickle hypocrites. We are the ones who are going to continue to sin. But God is so gracious to meet our weak attempts of repentance and give us comfort and grace and mercy and to spit us out of the tomb which held our Savior for three days. Man, what a good God we have. And I even see in there, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Um, I often, in, in dealing with people who are losing loved ones who are not Christian, this is often um, an idea that I go to them with is like, we don't know what happens when their life is fainting away. If we have preached the gospel to them, if they have heard it, we can have hope that when their life is, is fainting away, they can remember the Lord. 
and they can turn. And that doesn't mean they cheat judgment. That doesn't mean that they get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Why? Because Jesus took all of their sin. He really did. Even if they are saved for two seconds of their life, Jesus' sacrifice was so sufficient to cover their sins, to actually absorb the weight of their punishment, that it's good for them. And man, what a hope we have. That's why we preach the gospel so boldly to those who are around us, even if they reject it, because our hope is is that just like um, the parable of the seeds, is that one day that seed, that gospel might bear fruit. We don't know when, um, as as Paul says, uh, uh, I sowed Apollos water, but God gives the fruit. We don't know when seeds of the gospel that we sowed will bear fruits for eternal life, but we can trust that they might because it saved us. And if they confess on their deathbed, it is, it is only the blood of Jesus that saves them, not their you know, moments of weakness. It is the blood of Jesus manifesting itself through faithful repentance. And so we see the wonderful power of repentance held out for us in a comfort to those who are sinful. And that's kind of what transitions to looking out in this text is I want to first see, because all of our actions are rooted in what Christ has done. Uh, all of our actions are, ri- are rooted in the gospel implications in our life. And the book of Jonah, we see Jesus on every page. Jonah is the reluctant prophet, unwilling to preach judgment on sinners. Jesus was the willing prophet, willing to take judgment for sinners. Jesus fell asleep on a boat during a storm, and he woke and stilled the storm with his words. Jonah was asleep on a boat and had to still the storm because of his sin and jumping into the water. Jesus spent three days in the, or Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. And in Matthew um, 11 or Matthew 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. And after three days in the grave, Jesus came out. This book is about God's immense grace for broken sinners, that salvation does indeed belong to the Lord, you weak and distrustful Jonah, and God will save those whom God will save. And we can trust that. And we are the first recipients of that. We are saved because a prophet greater than Jonah came and suffered a disaster stronger than the belly of a fish and took the message of judgment instead of simply proclaiming it. And so that changes how we live because what we see in this book is Jonah runs from salvation and salvation follows everywhere. The sailors are saved. The Ninevites are saved. And kind of in this, as Jonah's reflecting on this, um, we see, um, well, this is getting it to tomorrow's reading. So in tomorrow's reading, I want you to note the comprehensiveness of the salvation that happens. It is everywhere in this book. God's word, God's grace towards broken sinners is far more effective than our weaknesses and far more effective than even our sin. God will save his people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that because he saved you. So how do we live this out? Well, I think two things, both of them relate to our evangelism. First, do people see hope and do we say hope? And so that's the conduct and that confession. In the way we live, are people seeing the goodness of Jesus? Are they seeing our lives being submitted to God's call to make disciples, to go to the nations, and to teach everything that God commanded? Do they see that in our lives, or do they see a level of hypocrisy? And they certainly will at some point. But in our hypocrisy, we can again repent, and our repentance shows that Jesus is perfect, and we are not, and we rely on his grace. And so do, do our lives show the gospel by what people see? But then secondly, do we say the hope of the gospel? Do we trust that God's word will bear fruit? Or are we worried that people won't repent? 
Because what this story shows is that the most hardened people repented because not because of the winsome nature of Jonah, because it's not a winsome message you'll see, but because of the power of God and salvation. There's immense power in the proclaimed gospel of God that we are broken sinners, that we rejected God, but God sent Jesus, his own son, to take on human flesh and die in our place. So that if we have faith that Jesus took our wrath, we are given his righteousness. We are restored to God by grace through faith. And if that saved us, it is wonderful to save others because the truth is you aren't special, but your savior is. And he desires to save many, many more people. And in his divine plan, he's chosen knuckleheads like you and me to share that message of grace. And so what this does in the book of Jonah is we see God's grace towards sinners. We see the power of his, of his message to save those who are lost. And that motivates us to, see, to show the gospel with our actions and say the gospel with our words and trust God with whatever comes our way. So anyway, I love the book of Jonah. I'm excited um, to hear how the rest of the book affects you when you read it tomorrow. Um, but let me pray for us, and then I'll let you guys get on with your Memorial Day. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for the greater Jonah, the Jonah um, who did not despise those who had sinned against him, but actually came to die for them, to substitute himself for them. And Lord, we thank you that at every turn of the greater Jonah of Jesus Christ, we see salvation flourishing. And so, Lord, we do two things. First, we rejoice if we are ones who have seen the sign of Jonah if we are ones who see what Christ has done and we believe and are saved. And secondly, Lord, I pray that we live our lives in light of that, that we um, match our Christian conduct and our Christian confession, knowing that those are the ways in which you desire to see people saved. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness and evangelism, trusting that God will win many people to his gospel. He will save them from judgment, a judgment that we do not need to fear personally, nor do we need to fear in our message, because God even works in the hard truth of judgment. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Have a good Memorial Day.